Happy New Year. It's good to see you. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now from an off-site campus uh, or on the internet or a podcast or wherever you happen to be. Uh, we're glad that you are along on the first weekend of 2011, a brand new year. And, uh, you know, this is a great year. It's starting off good already. As I left the house uh, this weekend, my wife said, I could tell by the look in her eye that something was wrong. She said, your clothes don't match. And I said, no, but they're all new and I like them. They feel good. And it was too late <laughs> to get out. And, you know, that's great when you get out the door and she doesn't catch you till then. So don't even say anything to me about it, okay? Because I don't care. I like them all. They feel good. <clears throat> Let me tell you about a couple of things that are happening uh, this has been an incredible uh, kind of, we take a little one-week break uh, between uh, Christmas and New Year as a staff, and so Debbie and I decided uh, we were going to leave on Monday and go to Birmingham uh, to visit Billy and Charlene Hornsby. A lot of you know Billy and Charlene. Billy was on staff here, and we tasked Billy to start the ARC, and, uh, and then uh, we moved the headquarters to Birmingham. And Billy and Charlene uh, both have cancer, and we'd really appreciate if you guys would, would pray with them and pray for them. But we were going to go over and spend a little bit of time with them. And uh, we thought, well, when we ever go to Birmingham, we go to Atlanta first so we can spend the night, eat at Papacitas. Anybody have a witness on that? Okay, a couple people. Um, you know, I, I believe that if you believe in the rapture, the rapture will be routed through Atlanta, and hopefully they'll stop for Papacitas on the way. But, uh, and so a couple of our kids said, well, dad, we maybe we could go too and eat at Papacitas and we'll go to Ikea the next morning. So my two daughters and their, my two son-in-laws, uh, went, went along with us and, um, they drove themselves. They were coming back. Well, we got to Ikea and actually I went to the Apple store cause I don't like Ikea and the rest of the family went to Ikea and I got a phone call uh, about an hour later that said, uh, we're on our way to the hospital. Your daughter is having a baby that is six weeks early. And uh, so long story, you can go on Facebook and get the blow by blow on it, I'm sure. But we have another grandchild and his name is Judah. And I think we have a picture of him. And, uh, and Judah um, is in Atlanta, as a matter of fact. Uh, when you're that early, they, you need, they need more groceries. And so they're pumping groceries into him as as fast as they can. We came back uh, yesterday or la- the night before, I think, and um, uh, they're there. W- would you pray with us for Judah that he would uh, eat good groceries and grow so we can get him home? And uh, so that, that was kind of an in- incredible experience. I wanted to mention one more thing. Uh, next weekend, we are starting a 21-day fast at the beginning of the year. Uh, I'm bulking up personally for the fast, <laughs> and uh, uh, I know some of you probably are too. And, uh, but it's going to be a great time as we really open our ear to hear God. There'll be more information on the city, uh, on, uh, you know, some possible ways you can do it. I think people are going to share recipes, that type of thing. But I want you to be really praying that God will speak to you and speak to us as a church in this first 21 days of, uh, this, this new year, a new decade. Now I want to introduce to you one of my friends from time to time. Uh, we are privileged to be able to bring um, some of our friends who really have a word from God, I believe, uh, for our church. And one of those is Ed Stetzer. Ed is the uh, president of Lifeway Research. If you've heard of the Lifeway uh, bookstores, uh, Ed's very, very much involved in that. Uh, he researches trends, anything to do with uh, our faith and Christianity. 
Uh, Ed has written just a ton of books on church planting, on how to be missional, just on a lot of different subjects. And it seems like every conference I've gone to the last two or three years, Ed is the featured speaker at those. I love listening to him talk about his passion, and that's uh, how the church is doing with reaching people who are not a part of or whose lives have not been fully incorporated into the grace of Jesus. And so I've asked Ed to come and share with us this week, and I've told him how nice you guys are. And so I want you guys to listen up, uh, get a word from God, and would you give a great big Seacoast welcome in the campuses and here for Ed Stetzer as he comes to speak to us. Well, thank you, and it's good to be here and, uh, and, and to share God's Word with you. Appreciate so much your pastor, your staff, as I've gotten to know them over the years and seen them, as he mentioned, on some conferences, and, and uh, so I'm privileged to be able to open God's Word and share with you. If you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 is going to be the text we're going to use today, and we're going to take a look at, at, at this issue of, of getting all God's people involved in God's mission. Uh, maybe you're here and you're thinking, well, this is, this is uh, the beginning of a, of, a, of a new year, right? We're near at the front of the year. Is, is what, what then do I need to know and what do I need to do and what am I considering? We, we talk about resolutions. I, I want to caution you. My, my desire for you today is not to encourage you to turn over a, a new leaf. That's not my desire. Matter of fact, I think that's a dangerous substitute for the gospel. So I don't want to say to you, turn over a new leaf. But I do want to exhort you to receive and live out new life. And there's a difference between the two. But part of what it means to be a Christian is that we have received new life in Christ and now we're living out that new life in Christ. Yet the reality is in most churches that I've been to, and I do research and and that's my job. I'm the president of Lifeway Research, as Greg has mentioned. And so I do a lot of stats on churches and research on churches. Matter of fact, in the process of doing so, I've had the privilege of mentioning your church. I I was reviewing earlier today, mentioned your church in three different books. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that a little later on. But One of the things we find when we do research on churches is that a lot of churches have a lot of people who are perhaps there for the show but not involved in service. And that's one of the challenges, I think, that many churches face. Now, I don't know your church. I know your pastor and some of your staff, but I don't know your church. So anything I say that might feel critical, think he's talking about somebody else. Uh, let's just make that our rule as we go through that today. But, but, but unless in the midst of that, you think to yourself, maybe that applies to me. And that's what I want us to look at today. This passage talks about all God's people being engaged in God's ministry, how they're living on mission and engaged in those purposes and the intents of God in their lives. When we do research, matter of fact, we did research on uh, 7,000 churches for a project we recently completed, a book called The Transformational Church. And in the process of doing so, one of the things that we found is this, is that the majority of people in the majority of American churches are unengaged in ministry or mission. The majority of people in the majority of churches are unengaged in ministry and mission. Now, I'll quote a few stats through the message, right? As the president of a research company, every, every time I quote a statistic, an angel gets its wings. And so I'll make a point of making some of those statistics. But what I want you to hear is this. Is it, is it is normal for us too often to think that the normal position of the Christian life is to sit and listen rather than to go, to do, to tell, and to serve. 
And the reason that that is the case is that the majority of people in the majority of churches do more sitting than they actually do serving. And I think that runs counter to what we see in the scriptures today. Let's take a look at 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 10. It says this. It says, based on the gift they have received, everyone should use it to serve others as good managers of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, his speech should be like the oracles of God. If anyone serves, his service should be from the strength God provides so that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, speak to us through your word. Shape our thinking about the the engagement in your mission uh, through and in your word. Help us to, to think biblically about our role in serving you and being with others who serve you. And may you receive the glory through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Now let me give you some introductory matters from this text first. I think it's important for us to get a, to get a picture of some things. If you actually start back in verses 8 and 9, you can begin to see some of those introductory issues. It says this. It says, above all, keep your love for one another at full strength, since love covers a multitude of sins. Then it says, be hospitable to one another without complaining. So it's talking to us, and it's, it's saying that we're to show love for one another and to be hospitable to one another. So we begin with this understanding of how we are to relate to one another. And so how do we show that love? How do we show that hospitality? Well, we show that love and that hospitality by doing what follows, what follows in the subsequent verses. But it tells us first our love should be at full strength. In the original language, the the word there implies as if an athlete working on skills. And so it takes exercise. It it takes practice. And so like an athlete working on skills, we're to to show this love and to have this love for one another. And then it gives us these these things in the following verses. I've broken them down into four parts. I want to walk through with you together. If you're taking notes, you you can jot these down. If not, just follow along with me. Four things I want you to see from this text. The first thing is, number one, that all have gifts all have gifts look at what it says in right there at the beginning in verse 10 it says this based on the gift they have received everyone should use it to serve others so it says based on the gift that you have received and i have received everyone should use it to serve others i want to caution you and remind you at the beginning that when we talk about everyone here we're we're in a sense talking about a group of everyone's Well, the everyones that we're talking about here are the people to whom this letter is written. This letter is not written to people who are without Christ, who have not yet been born again by the power of the gospel. And so what I'm about to tell you is 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 written to and therefore applicable to Christians. So maybe you're here and you're considering the claims of Christ, but not yet a follower of Jesus Christ. We're glad you're here. We want you to consider that, but we don't want you to leave here thinking that you should turn over a new leaf, but instead, as I mentioned earlier, that you might receive and live out new life. There's a difference between the two. This is written to people who have come to the understanding that Jesus died on the cross for their sin in their place. They've repented, trusted, and followed Christ and been made new in Christ. But when we begin to see this, we begin to see a pattern here that is in the scriptures, but not always in our churches. Let me say it again. It's it's seen in the scriptures, but not always seen in our churches, because for many churches, they're filled with passive spectators rather than active participants in the mission of God. For many churches, and, and really, let's make it personal, perhaps for you, 
It has been that you are a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but you've been more engaged in attending than in actually serving. You've been involved in in coming than actually going. And in the process of doing so, as you look ahead to a new year, you might then be asking, what then should I do different? Let's look to what the scriptures say. Let's go through just word by word through it. Based on the gift they have received, received. Now, I'm, I'm not trying to sound like a preacher. I'm, I'm trying to emphasize the past tenseness of that word. It sounded a little like a preacher there, I know. Based on the gift they have received, uh, but, but I want you not to miss how the word is in its past tense. So this is written to people who have been made new in Christ, and having been made new in Christ, they've received, past tense, spiritual gift or gifts, and in the process of receiving those gifts, now, don't miss it, everyone should use it to serve others. What's the word everyone mean? I looked it up in the original language. Are you ready? Went to seminary, got impression. Here's what everyone means. Are you ready in the original language? It means everyone. Didn't see that coming, did you? Well, you know, because you know why? Because sometimes we see that word and sometimes we think surely that doesn't mean everyone because everyone is not living as if it meant everyone. Because as I mentioned, the majority of people in the majority of churches are unengaged in ministry and mission. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for you? Well, probably there's a couple of categories of people here tonight, probably more than two. There are some who are not yet following Christ. And my encouragement to you is to hear tonight about what the Christian life is about. And then as part of that understanding, as God's working in your heart, you respond to him and receive him by grace through faith. But there are others as well. And so maybe you're here and you're asking the question, well, as I look at my own Christian life, I'm one of those passive spectators. Well, I want to say to you that that's probably a lot of people in this room watching on the Internet or in the different campuses. You know why? Because that's normal, unfortunately. It's become normal to sit there week after week of passive spectators. Now, that shouldn't surprise us. Because no matter where you're watching this message, unless you're watching at home on, uh, through, through the Internet, it, no matter where you're watching this message, you're probably watching this message lined up in rows. Matter of fact, you're probably in a room. It might be a big room. It might be a little room. But you're in a room that looks more like a theater than probably anything else. It's lined up in rows like shelves at Walmart, facing forward, watching. Your job is to sit and to listen. Now, if you didn't do that, you'd probably get in trouble. If you got up and started having a conversation with yourself or with your neighbor or with me, that would be a problem. But I think part of what that does is it unintentionally teaches us that your role in the church of Jesus Christ is to, well, is to pay, pray, and get out of the way. Your role in the church of Jesus Christ is to, is to sit there or, and to watch rather than to go do, tell, and serve. Now, we even have words for it, right? There's, sometimes we think of these words and people say, they talk about how there are, there are clergy and then there are lay people. You, you've heard it before. Lay people. What are lay people? They're like civilians. And, and then there's the clergy, you know, past, pastors and staff. And, and they're just, I mean, they're just more, they're more holy than you. And they're laughing. And some of the staff just amend it. And, uh, repentance is called for in the issue of pride but 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 here's the thing it's kind of the idea that that as a lay person you're at the bottom of the spiritual barrel your your job i mean the whole word what's your job your job is to is to lay around because you're lay people and and then the job of the clergy right because they're called to the ministry well here's what i want you not to miss 
Sometimes we as pastors, and I need to apologize for us, sometimes we as pastors, we use phrases like, I was called to the ministry, and what we mean is I was called to the pastoring because you know what the Bible says? You have been called to the ministry. Don't miss this. Everyone should use it to serve others. You know who everyone includes? Listen, if you're here, if you're watching online, if you're at a campus, point to the person next to you and say, he's talking about you. Just do it right now. He's talking about you. Now, if you're at home and the internet by yourself, go like this right there and just do that right there. Because I'm talking about you. Everyone should use it to serve others, to serve others as good stewards. So it tells us to serve others. In the original language, the word serve means all different kinds of service. Some of us are going to be serving the poor engaged in a ministry. Some of us are going to be serving children by watching and serving in the nursery. Some of us are going to be serving one another. Some of us are going to be serving those outside of the church body. But the Bible says everyone. You say, Ed, I didn't sign up for service. I wanted to be ministered to. I want to be served. Well, Sometimes in a large church like Seacoast, what happens is people, they come and maybe they've left the church and maybe they came to Christ here, but maybe they've left the church and, and they, they come to heal and to hide. And I understand that. A large church attracts people who come to heal and to hide. What I want to say to you is, is to understand biblical healing and to understand freedom in Christ, what that involves is being used by God for God's purposes. And that will bring about some of the healing of the hurt in the midst of your own life. All have gifts. So, so what do we do with this? Well, we have to recognize that if we don't teach people this, that they have the tendency to become consumers of religious goods and services. And Seacoast does it well. I mean, Seacoast just, just, it just oozes excellence and thoughtfulness. And I was so blessed that someone meet me at the door and tell me where I was supposed to go. And people are here and they're serving and they're passing out things. And all of the campuses just, just exude excellence. But what often happens is churches like that, you know what they do? They attract customers of excellence. And so what we end up with is a church full of customers rather than a church full of co-laborers. And if the typical church, in the typical church, that half the people are more unengaged in ministry or mission, maybe in a church as wonderful as Seacoast, maybe it's higher. We talked a little bit before the service, and I found out it might be a little higher, but it's not that much higher. So in, in this weekend of services, thousands of people who listen to the message will be unengaged in ministry and mission. And the question you have to ask at the beginning of 2011, is that what God intended when he said to you through his word, based on the gift they have received, everyone should use it to serve others. Take a look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. It says this, it reminds us about the role and the place of these spiritual gifts when it says a manifestation of the spirit. This is first Corinthians twelve seven. A manifestation of the spirit is given to each person to produce what is beneficial or for the common good. Some translations say so it's a manifestation, not a not not a sign, but of, of service of the spirit. It's given to produce what's for the for the common good. God has gifted you. I want you to hear this, Christian. God has gifted you for his purposes and for the common good, both inside and outside of Seacoast Church. And if you're not using those gifts for God's purposes and God's agenda, the end result is, is that we've produced customers of religious goods and services rather than co-laborers of the gospel. Does that make sense? 
Now, so I believe this with all of my heart because I believe that any system that disempowers and demotivates the people of God is, is unhelpful and perhaps sinful. And so my exhortation to you is because at this point you might be saying, well, I'm so glad that this guest speaker is talking about all of those lazy people. So maybe you're saying that's he's not talking to me tonight. Well, what I want to encourage you to ask and what I want to ask you to consider to change is what is it about the system of the way that we do church in America causes people to think that it's okay to sit there week after week and do nothing and call yourself a follower of Jesus? And if that's the culture that we're producing, what then do you, maybe you're a key leader, maybe you're involved in nine things, what then do you need to do to help some people get up off their blessed assurance and do something for Jesus? So this is a challenge, but it's a good challenge. See, I'm convinced that the recession, I, I'm not a big fan of the recession. I'm guessing you're not either. This is uh, it's a difficult time. But, you know, the, one of the unintended consequences of the recession, it's forced all kinds of churches to become more volunteer-driven organizations. What happens is, is that all kinds of churches are saying, we need to raise up new leaders for new things. And in 2011, God is calling hundreds, perhaps thousands of people who right now, who are unengaged and uninvolved in Seacoast Church, to move from right now sitting in rows to actually sitting in circles so they can be in community with others, to go out then be provoked to love and good deeds, as the scriptures tell us in Hebrews, to then go out and change the world for the gospel. I want you not to miss that. My exhortation to you, whether you're watching at home or at a campus, wherever you may be, is to move from sitting in rows to sitting in circles to then being engaged in ministry and mission that impacts the world. So number one, I want you to see is that all have gifts. You do and I do. They may be different, but all have gifts. But number two is this. All have gifts. Number two, God intends all to use. God's plan is that you might use your spiritual gifts. It says this in the second part of 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. It says, as good managers of the varied grace of God. So, so we all have these gifts. So each one has received a gift. We're to use it to serve others as good managers of the varied grace of God. Since we're staying in the Charleston area, we have the privilege of, of actually going out on a... Uh, uh, yeah, for, for some celebrations, my daughter and I are here, my eight-year-old daughter's with me, and, and we went out and we, we got on this, uh, this, this taxi with a guy who drives the taxi, right? And by driving, I mean he pedals the taxi. And, and you've seen them, and they're all in different places. And so we got there, and we got in this conversation with the guy, and just it was a fascinating conversation. And, and, uh, and, and my daughter, my eight-year-old daughter, she, just, she has now set her career ambitions that she wants to drive the taxi, to ride the taxi in, in Charleston because she just loves the outside. She's just an outdoorsy girl, and she's a wonderful kid. And, uh, and so she asked, she asked the, 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 the peddler, I'm not sure what word I should use, the driver, the taxi driver, I don't know, the, the dude. She asked the dude... She said, so do you own this? And he said, no, no, I'm just, I manage it. See, that's what, that's what a manager does. The Bible tells us as good managers of the varied grace of God. So that, that dude, his job is, is, to, is to manage the property that belongs to someone else. Well, the Bible then speaks of us and our spiritual gifts and says that we're to be good managers of the varied grace of God. 
And in the Bible, manager and steward are often both translated from the same word. And in the culture of the day, the steward was the servant who's, who's managed the house of the master. And the stuff belonged to the owner, and, and they were to, to manage it. And so what I want you to hear is this, is that throughout Seacoast Church, its campuses and its people, there are thousands of people who have been given gifts. And the only question is not whether or not they're gifted. The question is whether or not they are good or bad managers with the gifts they have received. So the call here is to be good managers of the varied grace of God. Now, what does that mean? Well, look with me at 1 Corinthians again. We're bopping back and forth here, but 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18 says it this way. It says, but now God has placed the parts, each one of them in the body, just as he wanted. So I don't want you to miss this, that God in his sovereign goodness has redeemed you. He has made you new in Christ. You've been born again. You've been saved. You've received Christ, whatever term you want to use. And then he has placed you in the body. In a local expression of the body at Seacoast and all of its campuses, he has placed you in the body just as he wanted. To do what? To be a manager and a steward of the gifts that he has given you. So the church is to be filled with people using their gifts for God's glory so that as a body, we're being used like a body knitted together. Some are the hand, the arm, the leg, the knee, knitting together, moving into the world in ministry and mission. Now that's a far cry from the church being a, a store that's a distributor of religious goods and services. And if the music's good, you'll, you'll come and the preaching's good, you'll, you'll come, and, and, and well, I got good ministries here for my kids or that, and so we sort of pick the church based upon our customer preferences, and the problem is, is when we do that, when one day somebody changes the music, all of a sudden we're going to leave this Walmart and go over to that Target. But when the church is instead knitted together as a body of believers sent on mission, the end result is, is that you're using your gifts. I'm using my gifts. You're using your gifts. And the end result is we're knitted together for ministry and mission. And we move forward responding to Jesus who has sent us into the world in his name. So all have gifts. Number two, God expects all to use. Now, what's gone wrong? Well, I think one of the things that has gone wrong is consumer Christianity that has enabled us to think it's okay to not live for Christ in our lives. Now, again, this is written to Christians. I've said that to you three times already, but I don't want you to miss it. Mark Twain once wrote, Samuel Clemens once wrote, that church is where good people stand in front of good people and tell them how to be good people. I don't want to do that. That's not what this is. This is a place where sinners who have been redeemed and saved by the power of the gospel, made new in Christ, then live out that life. But something has gone wrong. Something is broken when the majority of people sit rather than serve and yet call themselves Christians. Now, I don't know that the beginning of a year gives us a new motivation to make that change. But maybe for many of us, it does. But I want you to let it sink in for just a second that regrettably, we have made it acceptable to sit in church week after week and do nothing and still call yourself a follower of Jesus. Now, I want you to hear this. You say, well, Ed, I, I'm, I'm still not sure what I believe. I, I, I'm not sure that, that I'm a Christian yet. I'm not sure. I, I want, please, I want you to sit and to listen. But what I want to say to you is that when you've been made new in Christ and still 
so many will sit and listen rather than go do, tell, and serve. There's something wrong with our understanding of the Christian life. We are too filled with passive spectators and yet not enough active participants in the mission of God. We have to see every member as a minister, every member living on mission. In a biblical church, the people are the ministers and the pastors are the administers. So it's necessary for us. I want you to move, and all of us, I want Christians in North America to move beyond the idea that giving a percentage of my income and getting my face in the pictorial directory is enough. It's not. God has called you, and maybe 2011's beginning is the reason that you will say, here I am, Lord, send me. God has called called you and me. His intent is that you would use your gifts. Now, the reality is this. One of the things that makes a wonderful church like Seacoast wonderful is one of the challenges along the way that can detract a wonderful church like Seacoast from being wonderful. Let me explain. I have the privilege of, of speaking at some wonderful churches. And, and, and one of the things, I, I, a couple of things I know is, first of all, most people who go to amazingly spectacular churches think it's normal. And so maybe you've been coming to Seacoast and you think this is what church is supposed to be like. You're supposed to grow by, by thousands upon thousands. You're supposed to be this size and all these campuses and all these ministries. This is what's normal. I want you to hear this. Your church is not normal. You're basically a freak. I mean, according to the study we just recently, a survey we did, you're the 30th largest church in the country and the 75th fastest growing church in the country. You probably think it's normal. You're freaks. But that's okay. I want you to be Jesus freaks. But, but what I want you to hear is this. Hear me this. When your church is growing... And amazing things are happening. Remember what happens. You attract customers who don't become co-laborers. Now, my exhortation to you is, is are you at Seacoast because you're a customer of the excellence or because you're a co-laborer on the mission? Number one, all have gifts. Number two, God expects all to use. Number three, are you ready? For which he empowers us. Let's look at the next verse here in verse 11. It says this, if anyone speaks... Verse 11, 1 Peter 4, his speech should be like the oracles of God. If anyone serves, his service should be from the strength God provides. So the scripture gives two broad categories here of gifts. Now, now remember, it's, this passage is about gifts. Each one has received a, a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Then it says this, two broad categories, speaking and serving. Now, now don't think those are the only two gifts. Because in Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4, we have, we have a whole bunch of others. As a matter of fact, we have 19 in those lists, and they don't all overlap, which leads me to conclude that there's no exhaustive list of all the spiritual gifts in the Scriptures. There's all kinds of gifts that God is giving His people, but, but there's a problem. So the Holy Spirit empowers you, you and me, the Holy Spirit empowers us, but then sometimes, because of the way that we do church, sometimes what we do is we teach people that their role is, again, to, to pay, pray, and get out of the way, to come, to attend, to listen, to throw a few bucks in, instead of being transformed disciples who are living on mission for the gospel. Uh, can I just tell you this? Living customer Christianity isn't worth your time or your commitment. But there's another kind. 
There's a biblical kind. It's the kind that's spoken of here. And, and this is the empowerment that this speaks of. It says this, if anyone speaks, his speech should be like the oracles of God. Talking about speech that's, that's inspiring and inspired by God. If anyone speaks, his speech should be like the oracles of God. And then it says, if anyone serves, his service should be from the strength that God provides. So, so speaking, serving, but we know there are a dozen plus gifts listed in other places. All have gifts and there's all kinds of different gifts that you can use. The problem is this, is sometimes it's easy for us to think it's somebody else's job to do ministry and mission. And this is a very dangerous thing. I I call it ministry codependence. Let's talk a little bit about codependence. You'll feel like you've been to Oprah by the time I'm done in the next few minutes. I think it's a real thing. Because I think what happens in codependence is, is sometimes passive consumer Christians, they get their needs met by their pastors or key leaders in the church. And probably in those three categories, I've listed everyone here, passive consumer Christians, those who are involved in service and ministry as lay people, and then the pastors. Well, what happens is, is sometimes group one, the passive consumer Christians, they get into a, a dependent relationship upon, well, the, the key leaders and the pastors. Now, what we call that is codependence. Let me, let me read the definition of codependence. I got this off of Wikipedia, so you know you can trust it. It says this. It says, a codependent is loosely defined as someone who exhibits too much, often inappropriate caring for persons who depend on him or her. A codependent is one side of a relationship between mutually needy people. The dependent or obviously needy parties may have emotional, physical, financial difficulties or addictions They are seemingly unable to surmount. The codependent party exhibits behavior which controls, makes excuses for, pities, and takes other actions to perpetuate the needy party's condition because of their desire to be needed and the fear of doing anything that can change the relationship. See, if we're going to break the cycle of passive consumer Christianity in our churches... It's going to take those of you who came here as customers of excellence to say, I'm going to be co-laborers in the gospel. But then it's going to take simultaneously those of you who are already serving and ministering to say, our role is not to minister to everybody, but to get them to minister with us to everybody. So that means every person who's serving in a ministry in a role saying, who can I bring along that's right now unengaged or uninvolved? So I would exhort you, even as you begin your fasting season here as a church, as you gather together for for, for worship and think through some of these issues, for you to think through, who can I get to join with me so that we might minister together? See, the challenge is this. Too often we get our identity. As pastors, this is the case in my life on many points. I get my identity from people needing me. Maybe you're a small group leader. Maybe you're working with the children. Maybe you're working with the students. And I can get my identity by people saying, Pastor, you're just, if you weren't here, I don't know if I'd want to learn the Bible like I'm learning it. And it makes me feel good. But it hurts the work of God. See, our job is together to see all of God's people are engaged in ministry and mission. I've got, I've got one imitation that I do. It's by a guy, uh, from a guy named Ross Perot. Have you ever heard of Ross Perot? I just say his name and people laugh. Very successful businessman before he ran for president. Sharp guy. But he'd always go on, on Larry King. 
and uh, or whatever it was. And he'd always kind of get up there, and he always he would always say, "Larry, look at this chart." He'd always have some sort of some sort of thing. And he always had these these Texas colloquialisms. He'd say, "The deficit's like a crazy ant in the basement." Larry, look at this chart right here. I'll show you. And he always kind of that's that was my imitator. That's my imitation of Ross Perot right there. That's what I got right. So so, but I was watching one day. And I was watching, and I watched, and I don't even know if it was a rerun later or something or a clip, but I, I was watching him talk about America, and I thought of the church. Now, let me say, theologically, we are not talking about the same thing. Okay, that's very important. The church is, is distinct. The people of God are distinct from, from a country. But he was watching, I thought to myself, that's exactly what's going on in too many churches. All right, here's, here's what he did. I'm going to do my imitation, right? I, I got I to do the ears to do it right. All right, so that's uh, my Ross Pro ears. And he said, here's what he said. He said, the problem with America today... You got to admit that's pretty good. That's all I got. I can't about it. The problem with America today is there are too many people riding in the back of the wagon with just a few of us up front pulling it. And I thought to myself, I remember getting up and saying, "That's the challenge in so many churches." And I know that it's it's a challenge at Seacoast, whatever campus you're at, whatever you're doing, if. If the majority of people or even a significant minority of people who call themselves Christians and yet are engaging as customers rather than co-laborers, the end result is, is there's so much more that God wants to do through the church or the campus or the person. But what happens is we're not helping people find their gifts or maybe you're in the category of you're not using your gifts, but God intends you to use those gifts. Do you remember the, uh, when Susan Boyle was on that YouTube clip? Still is. Susan Boyle was on the, on the TV show, uh, Britain's Got Talent. And I remember tweeting this. About a million people had seen it, and so I felt like I was among the first. And so I tweeted this. Now it's like 300 million people. The population of the United States has watched this video. And, and, uh, and I watched it. And I, I, was, I was sitting there, and a friend sent it to me, and I watched it. And she walks out on stage, and it's Amer- Britain's Got Talent's like, like American Idol in, the, in that it's got uh, Simon Cowell in both of them. And so, so she walks out on stage, and she's this... This frumpy, just the kind of person that, that you wouldn't think would go on a talent show like this. And the audience responded accordingly. They shook their heads. There was this one teenage girl. She just, she scoffs. I mean, she just rolls her eyes. How dare this teenage girl, I had to be thinking, how dare this old lady who doesn't look nice walk out on this stage and think she's got anything to offer? You just want to slap that girl. And she walks out on stage, and the judges kind of look at each other and smirk and chuckle. And Simon starts to ask her questions. Well, what are you, what are you doing? She says, well, I'm, I'm where, he asks her where she's from, and she stumbles through. The, she can't see where she's from. Some villages. And, oh, she, and he asks her, what are you going to sing? And, and she, after she stumbles through, she finally says, I'm going to sing I, I Dream a Dream by Les Mis, from Les Mis. And you're out there, and you're watching. And you know, there's a reason you're watching this, because someone sent it to you. So you know something's going to happen, but you don't know what. And so she starts to sing, and she says, I dream a dream in time gone by. And as she begins to sing, her, her voice gets incredible. It's incredible at the beginning, but it gets stronger and stronger. Every line she sings, you just see the power in her voice, and, and you just see her gifts begin to come through, and people begin to begin to applaud. Well, first they look at each other like, whoa, we didn't see that happening. And, and, and actually, a moment, Simon smiled. I mean, 
mean, it was like this earth-breaking, shattering thing. And, and people begin to look, and, and they begin to clap, and they're like, they're, they're stunned. They don't know what to think. And, and, and then, then her voice gets stronger in the second line, and, and soon the people in the audience are standing their feet, and they're applauding, and, and, and the judges actually stand up and begin to applaud. And the, and the camera shoots to a couple of guys backstage, and they say, you didn't see that coming, did you? And you didn't. But she's singing, and the people are going crazy, and the camera's swooping across the room, and she just hits every note in an amazing, powerful rendition of I Dream the Dream. And I'm watching this thing. I watched, I must have watched like 60 of the 300 million of them because I kept watching it over and over again. I'm actually, my wife says to me, who is this woman that you keep watching on YouTube? I, I, but but I'm, reading, I'm watching it, and at one point I'm weeping like a 10-year-old girl at a Justin Bieber concert. I mean, I can't stop. And, and I'm watching this, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking to myself, this is what it's supposed to be like. It's not that all of us can sing. I can't. But it's that the church is to be the place where people find and value and live out their gifts. For her, it was singing. But what is it for you? To the world, that's a shocking moment on YouTube. To the people of God, that's what it's supposed to look like in the kingdom of God, where all God's people have mo- are moving from being passive spectators to active participants in the mission of God. And I think the question that many of us have to ask ourselves is in 2011, will we be customers of Seacoast or co-laborers with and through Seacoast? Number four, and I'll close with this. You know what it means when a guest speaker says that, don't you? Absolutely nothing. (laughs) Number four, right? Number one, all have gifts. Number two, God intends all to use. Number three, for which he empowers us. Number four, to bring God glory. It says this in verse 11, so that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. You want God to be glorified through your church? I want God to be glorified through your church. He is now. I want him to receive more glory, his due glory. You say, well, we're going to do it through singing. Yes, you are. But you know what this passage tells us? You're going to do it through serving. Singing's great. I hope we never see the music as the warm-up to the message. But the way we glorify God in this passage is by all God's people being engaged in God's mission. Listen, God won't get his due glory in the church when it's filled with customers rather than co-laborers. And I will tell you this, any church that begins to grow and just experiences the miraculous favor of God like yours has, what happens is, is that it eventually can and does get weighted down by customers rather than co-laborers. I don't know the future of your church. I'm not a prophet. Not the son of a prophet. I actually work in a nonprofit organization. <laughs> but I would say to you this God won't get his due glory in the church unless God's people say, I'm going to be used by God for his purposes and his agenda. So my encouragement to you is simple. Bible tells us here that God receives glory. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. How? So that in everything God may be glorified. My encouragement to you is this that you might move in 2011. No, that's wrong. You might not leave this gathering of worship, wherever you are, whatever campus you are, whether you're watching at home or whether you're watching with others, without saying, I'm going to move from sitting in rows to sitting in circles with other believers in a small group, in a community. I'm going to get in that small group and community and provoke one another to love and good deeds. That's Hebrews 10, 24. So the end result is 
we can be engaged in God's ministry and mission in the world. That's my encouragement to you. Don't go another year as a customer. Become a co-laborer. If you're already a co-laborer, let's go get the customers and help move them from passive spectators to active participants. Then we can all be stewards of what God has given us, this remarkable church that is Seacoast Church. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, in your grace and in your goodness, you have redeemed us and you have called us by name. Father, I thank you for that new life and I pray that you might teach us to live out that new life, to be transformed, first made new in Christ, but then to live as co-laborers in the gospel. Just with your head bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment, I wonder if in the quietness of this moment, God might be speaking to you And when I refer to that everyone, you said to yourself, I'm not part of that everyone. You are biblically. Can you move today and become so practically? Heavenly Father, change us and shape us and make us more like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Wow. Church, let me tell you something. I sat here on the front row and listened. And I thought, you know what we ought to do in 2011? Why don't I just play that, that, that message every weekend? It would be easier for me. And, and we might get it. We might get it. What an incredible word. If you, don't, if you want to know the heart of leadership at Seacoast, that's it. That's it. That we move from being spectators and consumers to co-laborers in the gospel. It's so tempting to be otherwise, isn't it? Here's what I want you to do. We're going to apply this. How do you apply this message? What is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? The first thing all of us need to do here and at the campuses is that we've got to be honest with ourselves. I'm going to pray that God would just give us a spirit of honesty in the next 10 minutes of just saying, God, I want to make a difference in 2011. If you know, if I was to ask each one of you, is that your prayer? You, it, it'd be almost unanimous. I, I want to make a difference. I want to make a difference. That's the culture and the generation we live in. If you're going to make a difference, you've got to be honest with where you are right now. And for some of us, the next step, the one step, the next step, is that we become a part of the body of Christ. That we say yes to God's calling. God has drawn you here. He's continued to draw you here. What is a good reason not to say yes to God and to become a part of his body, his church, the greatest thing on the planet today? I'm not saying that Seacoast is. The church of God, the greatest thing on the planet today. What is one good reason to continue to put it off and say, God, I'll wait. Uh, I'm not ready yet. I want you to ask yourself that. And then during response time, maybe if that's you, what you need to do is... um, You could do this in your seat, but I'm going to challenge you to get up, go to a cross. There's a cross in every campus and every auditorium that we're in, the front of the auditorium somewhere. And I'd like you to go there, grab a little piece of paper that represents you, pin it to the cross and whisper a prayer. And say, God, this is me. I'm all in. I'm all in. I want to follow you. You know me. You know my past. You know who I am. And based on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, covered my sin. I received that and I want to be a part of your body. Some of you need to start the year that way. That's what you need to do. I'll guarantee you it's the best thing you, you, you could ever do 
in your life. Secondly, we need to ask God, am I honestly, am I a consumer or am I a co-laborer? Ed gave us several indicators of that. Am I involved in ministry? I love the Target Walmart analogy. You've got to use that tomorrow. That, that was just absolutely incredible. Am I a co-laborer or am I a consumer? And honestly, if I'm not involved in ministry, I'm probably a consumer. And that's okay. Just be honest about it. I'd like you to go to the cross too, if you would. If you really, if you really feel like, boy, I want this year to be different. Just get up, go, pin, pin something on the cross and say, God, I don't want to be a, I do not want to be a consumer. I don't want to promote that. It's not biblical. It's not who you've called me to be. I want to be a co-laborer. God, I will, I will follow. You show me how and I will do it. Some of us are co-laborers. And Ed challenged us to reach out to some consumers. And God's probably laid some people in your heart. Maybe you want to go to a candle and pray for them. Use the candle as intercessory prayer. And just say, you know, as I light this candle, may the light of Jesus just turn on in their, in their life. May they go, go from being, you know, just kind of sidelined to maybe we could be a team that could do great things for you this year. Or maybe you know somebody that's not a part of the body of Christ at this point and you want to pray for them. If you need personal prayer, we'll have prayer teams that will pray for you at the windows uh, here in this auditorium and wherever they happen to be in your campus. And then um, we're going to come and we're going to receive communion together. The first time this year we're going to celebrate together Jesus Christ and what he did and what it means to us. We're going to go to the offering boxes and we're going to give generously, start out the year by giving the first part of what God has given to us. And then we're going to stand and sing and celebrate an awesome, awesome, awesome God. Okay? Is that clear? Just what is God saying to you? Where are you at in the whole kind of spectrum? And what are you going to do about it? Okay? Let's respond to God.